I'm now joined by Vivek Ramaswamy, co-founder of Strive Asset Management, who last week, they launched their first ETF, the Strive U.S. Energy ETF, ticker DRILL, great ticker, D-R-L-L. This is the first in what is expected to be a number of ETFs offered by Strive. And what's unique about their approach is they're seeking to make an impact in corporate boardrooms through proxy voting. And not exactly the type of uh, impact you're used to hearing about over the past several years with a focus on ESG. So Strive is emphasizing what they call excellence capitalism. And Vivek is now on the line with me. Vivek, it's a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, good to be on. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So look, let's start bigger picture and then we'll certainly get into the new ETF and your future plans in the space. So you co-founded Strive earlier this year, and I want to read your mission here. So your mission is to, quote, restore the voices of everyday citizens in the American economy by leading companies to focus on excellence over politics. So let's start there. What does that mean, excellence over politics? Well, look, it means that a lot of asset managers over the last half decade have adopted social and political agendas that they foist onto the companies that they invest in. I mean, you take companies like BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, managing together over $21 trillion, just those three firms. And and what they're doing is they're using the money of everyday citizens to take large positions in public companies and then to force those public companies to adopt social and political agendas that most of the everyday citizens, the owners of capital, do not agree with. So that's a gap. It's, It's a problem. It demanded a solution. That's why... I co-founded Strive, and the thing we're doing is actually pretty simple. We're offering exposure to the market, but we're delivering a different voice and vote to those boardrooms, where the thing that we demand of companies is to focus exclusively on delivering excellent products and services to their customers with the sole goal of maximizing shareholder value without regard to any other social, political, or cultural agenda. And and we think a lot of Americans want that, and that option doesn't explicitly exist in a mainstream way today. So that's what we're creating. Let me ask you this. You mentioned everyday citizens. Do you think everyday citizens or investors would be surprised to learn how their shares are voted? Like, I wonder how many people are even aware how this entire process works. I think they would be shocked, is the answer. Not just surprised, but shocked. And, And I know this because as we educate people across the country, as I, you know, even in the book that I wrote last year, began to educate people across the country during my book tour, it was nothing short of shock that their own money was being used by someone else to advance social and political agendas that they deeply disagreed with themselves. And my view is whether or not you agree with those agendas, ESG link agendas, environmental causes, social causes, fighting systemic racism, combating climate change, whatever the issue may be, those may be important issues. They need to be resolved through the political process where every citizen's voice and vote counts equally. But part of the promise of American capitalism is companies that focus exclusively on delivering products that lift all people up. And by the way, have an apolitical private sector that bridges us together, that binds us together as one people across the lines of partisan politics and identity politics. Ironically, when you politicize the private sector, that actually leads to even more social division. And at the end of the day, we decided we needed to start with the one sector that had been, in my view, most damaged by the demands of the ESG movement. That was the U.S. energy sector, where systematic underinvestment in oil and gas production has contributed to this massive supply-demand imbalance for energy in the United States and around the world that U.S. energy companies could actually help solve. They could address it. They could seize that as a business opportunity. 
if they were unshackled, unrestrained by these ESG handcuffs that have been imposed on them by their large asset manager firms and shareholders. And so that's why we thought it was important to bring a different voice to the table in the U.S. energy sector, telling these companies that it's okay to drill, to frack, to do more of each, to produce more energy, whatever allows you to be the most successful over the long run without regard to these short-term ESG demands. And what I've been pleased about is how receptive the energy sector and their executives and their employee bases are to this message. I actually spoke last week to one of the largest energy conferences in the country, the Intercom Conference in Denver. And, you know, they gave a standing ovation at the end of the speech, which was interesting to me because many of these companies have adopted ESG constraints. And so it was a bit of a mystery that it had a positive of a reception as it did. But it quickly became clear to me why, which is that most of the employees and executives in the oil and gas industry agree with our message, but they have been restrained by the top public shareholders of their companies, like BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard, who have effectively constrained their ability to be able to produce more energy in a way that solves the energy crisis and makes those companies more successful. So that's what we're aiming to fix. Vivek, why do you think that is? You know, obviously, politics has a nasty tendency, I think, to seep into just about every aspect of our lives. But how or why do you think politics became so intertwined with investing and asset management. And why, why has this become a much bigger talking point now? Because I know from my perspective, this entire topic of ESG has become much more prevalent over the past several years. Why is that? What, what drove that? Yeah, so look, I think I mean, this is what I wrote a book about, so it's not, it's not a simple answer. But I think one answer goes back to the 2008 financial crisis, where what happened then is greed is good as a mantra got indicted upon the public court of public opinion. And there was a demand for a new direction for American capitalism. And that's when a lot of the ESG business models really thrived, where they said, you know what, we're going to provide a different direction for capitalism to say that now it's not just about making products for serv- and, and providing services for profit, but also advancing other social agendas to make the world a better place. It may have began in an earnest and well-intentioned place, but that proved to be a pretty good marketing strategy for firms like BlackRock and State Street. And what they did is they realized that actually the more they signaled their virtue, the more capital they were able to raise. And then large pension fund systems like CalPERS in California and the state of New York started demanding and saying that, you know what, we're, no, we're only going to do business with firms that make these commitments, that sign on to the Climate Action 100 Plus Network's statement. And so then they started doing more of it. And it actually ended up becoming a profitable business model for them because they charge, you know, for example, BlackRock charges fees on the number of assets they manage. So the more assets they manage, the better. But what they did in the process is after they got so big, they were applying constraints to the underlying companies like the U.S. energy sector that made the entire size of the pie shrink. So their competitors also don't earn any better returns because their competitors are also invested in the same sector. But BlackRock managing $10 trillion or State Street and Vanguard, add that to the list, it's over $20 trillion, had the power to shape the directions of entire industries. And so they were able to win on both sides of the trade because, you know what, if everyone loses on the investing value, hey, everyone loses equally. But for them, it's a good marketing strategy. So they were able to raise more funds and generate more fees. And, and the one way you could see this most clearly is actually the fact that the same ESG standard they apply to the American companies like Exxon or Chevron, they do not apply on the other side of the world to places like PetroChina. So you would think that if addressing shared global climate change was such an important intention for any company, they would apply those standards globally. After all, it's global climate change, right? Well, it turns out that if they did apply those standards to PetroChina, they wouldn't be able to do business in China anymore, and they'd lose a big fee stream, a big revenue stream for their business. So that's why I joke around, you know, BlackRock's mantra is often ESG for thee, China for me. 
they win on both sides of the trade. And, and, you know, that's fine for them building their business model. But I think part of the problem, part of the solution to a market problem is a market solution. And so that's why I decided to found Strive and say that, you know what, we're going to do things differently. We're going to unambiguously stand for the voice of the everyday citizen. We're going to unambiguously stand for a voice in America's energy companies and, and, and really all companies' boardrooms saying that we want you to focus on excellent products and services over any political agenda. And for the clients who want to deliver that message with their capital, we're here as an option. And by the way, there may be certain things you have to do differently, which is to say we can't build an asset management subsidiary in China because that's going to create the problem of having two masters. You can't, have a, you can't be a good fiduciary and have two masters. So Strive will never build an asset management subsidiary business in China like BlackRock has. But you know, we're going to have to do some things differently to live, live up to our mission. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think that is why I wanted to solve this problem through the market. I know a lot of states and, and government actors are looking at this problem, too, for good reason. It's a big problem for the American economy. It's a big problem for American democracy. But I prefer solving a market problem through the market rather than through legislation or state action whenever possible. And, and that's what I'm hoping to do with Strive. And by the way, we should note the Strive U.S. Energy ETF. That's already over $100 million in assets in its first week which is uh, highly impressive. Uh, Vivek, I have to ask you, I've already seen some stuff out there in the media that uh, Strive and, and yourself are, uh, you know, quote-unquote anti-environment or your climate change deniers and those sorts of things. Do you, do you want to respond to any of that? Yeah, I think it's preposterous, to be honest with you, <laughs> uh, because I actually think bringing more energy production to the United States is actually the cleaner thing to do. In a certain sense, our reason for doing this is because we think U.S. energy companies are more successful. But when U.S. energy companies produce less oil and gas, Russia picks up the slack. China picks up the slack. That's more methane leakage. Methane is 80 times more harmful for global warming than is a unit of carbon dioxide. And it's not like they're doing methane instead of carbon dioxide. It's both. It's methane leakage in addition to carbon dioxide production. So I think the idea that this is an anti-environmental message is actually false. In a certain sense, we think it's actually going to have a positive externality even for the environment. It's going to have a positive externality for our culture, creating greater unity rather than division in our society. And, and actually, I actually laugh when I read some of these articles. Uh, I, read, I read an article someone forwarded me a couple of days ago, which sort of uh, referred to Strive as the so-called, and then it puts it in air quotes, anti-woke fund, which is really funny. I was wondering, who's calling it anti-woke? We've never called it that. <laughs> Strive never called it that. I've never called it that. So it, it, they decided that they were going to call it anti-woke, put in air quotes, and then say so-called anti-woke as though they were jabbing fun at the name selection. So, you know, I, I think, I think the, the nature of modern media is what it is. But at the end of the day, I think people today are smart enough to, to be trained over the last decade to know that they should figure out the facts for themselves rather than just take it uh, through whatever filtered media they get their news. But at the end of the day, on the flip side, I'm actually really grateful for the broad reception that we had last week across CNBC to CNN to Fox to Fox Business to The Wall Street Journal to Bloomberg you know, I think it was, it was it started a conversation. And I think that's the most important thing we can be doing in this moment right now is moving beyond our culture of fear, where for a while in the business world, you couldn't talk about stakeholder capitalism or ESG without adopting the BlackRock Larry Fink perspective, or you were at risk of, of cancellation in the economy. I think one of the things that we've been able to contribute to quickly is at least opening up those lines of communication. Not everyone has to agree with us. Of course not. <laughs> we live in a diverse democracy, and that's a good thing. And diverse capital markets, that's a good thing. But we do need to be able to debate these ideas freely and in the open. And I think as long as we're getting there, we're getting both the economy and our politics to a better place. And I'm proud to say that I think Strive is playing our small little role in making that happen. One thing I'm curious about, I know the goal for Strive is to grow assets to compete with a big three. 
in order to really start making a difference here, is there sort of a minimum asset level you need to achieve to 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 move the needle? Like, how big do you need to get to start making a difference in corporate boardrooms? I mean, I think I think in a small way, we're already beginning to make a difference. We started a conversation in the energy conference last week. We actually, I think, have have accounted in my, it's my opinion that we have been responsible for some of the changes in BlackRock's own behavior we have seen in recent months. I mean, it was after Stride's debut that BlackRock came out and said that they wanted to support fewer climate-related resolutions later this year. They have actually, they reached out to us last week asking for our shareholder proposals, the model shareholder proposals for the energy sector that I unveiled last week. This morning, uh, we said that it is our goal to exceed the AUM of BlackRock's U.S. Energy Index Fund. That's IYE, and that's about, you know, it's something on the order of a little over $2 billion in AUM. I think the relevant threshold is not necessarily getting to $10 trillion, which is the scale of BlackRock. Sure, that would be nice, but that's going to take time to do. But I think the relevant threshold is doing what we did this week, taking off on an abnormal trajectory. Over $100 million in the first week, as you said, that makes this the fastest non-seeded ETF launch of the year. What that does is that sends a signal to boardrooms. It sends a signal to energy companies in their boardrooms saying that, you know what, this is where the puck is going. And if you want to go the way of the dodo, maybe you look in the rearview mirror to the ESG era of the last five years. What we're bringing to the table isn't an anti-ESG voice. It is a post-ESG voice. It is where the future is heading. And I think our momentum in getting off the ground and the sheer level of interest we've seen, I mean, it was small dollar size average trades, as far as we know, that drove that result. That suggests that it's the everyday citizen and grassroots support that's saying that we're ready for something new. And I think that that arms the energy company executives and their board members to say that, you know what, this is where the puck is going. And we're going to skate in the direction of the future rather than just driving with our eye in the rearview mirror of ESG. And once we demonstrate that kind of change in the U.S. energy sector, I think there will be now a mandate then and, and standing for us to bring that kind of change to every sector, not just the U.S. energy sector. Vivek, on that note, just a couple minutes left here in terms of where the future is heading, where the puck is going. I know Strive does have several other ETF filings out there. Are you able to talk just generally about the overall future ETF roadmap here? What should we expect from Strive moving forward? Yes, I'm not going to be able to, for, for, for all kinds of boarding reasons, get into the specifics of, of exact products, but you're asking at a general level. So, so at a general level, look, our MO is representing a different voice to corporate America, not any specific sector, but across corporate America as a whole, demanding that companies focus on excellent products and services exclusively over any other agenda, including these social and political agendas. And so at the end of the day, that's a shareholder voice question. That's a shareholder vote question. And most asset managers, they try to compete with each other on the axis of risk, return, and fee. I'm not familiar with an asset manager like ourselves, for example, that's kind of taken this different approach that said that, you know what, that's not the main axis we want to compete on, risk, return, or fee. Let's hold those variables constant, more or less, and instead focus on bringing that different voice and vote to the table. And that's about doing two things. One is representing the voice of the everyday citizen, or at least many everyday citizens whose voices aren't represented. That's really important because if you're the capital owner, you better make sure that the voice you want represented on behalf of your dollars is indeed the voice that's being represented on behalf of your dollars. That's part of what Strive's bringing to the table. But the other piece of this is it's at least my view that this can actually help unlock value, can help grow the size of the pie to say that when companies are focused on exclusively providing products and services for profit rather than on other social agendas, 
sectors of our economy are themselves more successful. The energy sector is one example, but there are others, too. I think it's true for consumer products companies. I think it's true for companies in most sectors. And at the end of the day, we hope that that unleashes both the power of the everyday citizen and their voice, but also the power of our economy in growing the overall size of the pie itself. And we think that's something that hopefully lifts everyone up, not just strive. So at a high level, uh, this is just the beginning. This is the first step. It's the first milestone of our journey. It was an important one. You know, getting off the ground the way we did in week one, I'm, I'm gratified. And yeah, I'm really just grateful to the everyday citizens who supported us in that first week to get off the ground the way we did. That was remarkable, but it's still just the first step of a much, much longer journey. And I'm looking forward to what's ahead. Well, Vivek, best of luck to you on that journey. I know I'll certainly be fascinated to watch how everything unfolds here, but best of luck to you. And thanks for joining me this week. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Vivek Ramaswamy, co-founder of Strive Asset Management.